This is The Writer's Voice, new fiction from The New Yorker. I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor at The New Yorker. On this episode of The Writer's Voice, we'll hear Lauren Groff read her story, Under the Wave, from the July 9th and 16th, 2018 issue of the magazine. Groff has published three novels, including Arcadia in 2012 and Fates and Furies in 2015. Her second story collection, Florida, came out last month. Now here's Lauren Groff. Under the Wave It came up through the ground in the night. The worst things never wait for sunrise. She had soothed the bad dream from her little son until he breathed smoothly in the dark and then crossed the floors to the bed and climbed in without brushing the sand from her feet. The house sat alone in the marsh. They couldn't afford the beach a mile away, and so their consolation was the birds. The great herons, the cormorants, the lit candles of ibis. As she drifted off, she thought of the birds sleeping out in their nests, although by then they were no longer there. They'd already fled. She was almost asleep when she felt a great tongue licking the edges of her body, and she opened her eyes to see a bloom of black, her husband's face in a silent shout already moving away, underwater. And all was stripped from her, and all she was was wildness and pain, and her lungs bursting in the cage of her chest, and her body battered by a hundred invisibilities and the terrible swirl. Out of the wildness, the branch of an oak plucked her from the water, and she clung there, animal, as orange dawned over the marsh made alien with mud. And then there was a span of time that was mostly a low and rolling dark fog. She moved through it. She breathed, but she couldn't say what happened or how or where or why. There was only the knowledge of thirst, pain, hunger, only the body articulate. Images accumulated. A woman in filthy panties limping down a road with a bone knuckling out of her arm. A mass of faceless people huddled around a fire. The gray vinyl of a bus seat, scored like aged skin, and the strange flat brown landscape passing dreamily by the window. Finally, a warehouse with a concrete floor that was still shining wet with bleach, metal walls that breathed behind her back with the storm that had fallen down on them in extra punishment, a bruised boil of purple sky in the high windows. The survivors poured in and poured in and packed their bodies so tightly to sleep on the bare floors that their breath alone warmed the air. She searched the faces for the two beloved ones, but something told her softly that she wouldn't find them. She sat in the corner, head bowed. All around her through the day, people spoke quietly and wept, and some of the refugees with medical backgrounds tended to the wounded, and others passed through sleep and into death. At night, still others turned to their neighbors and fucked as quietly as they could in desperate affirmation of living. There were few children in the warehouse, and only one baby, who lay rigid in his swaddle and didn't cry. A sandwich in plastic appeared between the woman's legs, a bottle of water, an anemic nectarine. She didn't move. 
People stirred in the morning and went out into the yard and returned when night fell, but she remained frozen. She relieved herself where she sat, but the human reek was such that no one noticed. Another sandwich, another water, another half-hearted fruit, and she sat with the whole accumulation between her legs and no one tried to take it. Human decency could still overcome hunger then. Late in the night, she opened her eyes to a dim sea of sleeping bodies. She became aware of a darkness creeping through, too large to be a rat, too small for an adult. Cloud unpeeled from moon through the high windows, and in the new light she saw a child rifling through the clothes of others. From the pocket of the woman's sleeping neighbor, the child pulled a granola bar and ate it swiftly. Then she saw the woman's lapful of food and reached out hungrily. The woman caught the tiny wrist in her hand and held tight, though the child struggled in silence with tears running down her small, pale face. At last she stopped struggling and lay panting beside the woman for a while, her muscles loosening until the watchfulness fell from her and she was asleep. The woman let the girl's delicate wrist go, and even in the dark saw the bruises already pooling under the skin. She brushed the muddy hair from the girl's face. All sleeping children are as alike as siblings, unformed, soft in the cheek. The woman noticed her sandwiches and ate them, drank the water, ate the fruit, and didn't sleep, just sat staring into the dark until it was light again. Something had begun to vibrate within her. And when the child opened her eyes, the woman looked at her and touched her forehead gently and with a voice gone rusty said, Hi. Then she stood and the two held hands and picked their way over the sleepers and went out the door and into the dusty yard, first to the ad hoc showers while the water was still warm. The woman put powdered soap all over their clothes and stomped the filth from them with her feet, then wrung them with her strong arms until they were almost dry. When they went back into the yard, the girl trotted behind her, a good dog. They visited the porta potties, then they went to the men who were solemnly unloading boxes of food from a truck at the gate. No, the men said, looking away. They couldn't take the woman and the child with them. They had to be registered. They had to wait for the Red Cross to come. No, the men said, for the next five days. On the sixth, the oldest of the men, having carried the weight of saying no to this woman, this girl who had nothing at all, found his no too heavy to bear and put it down. He sighed and cut his eyes toward the back of the truck. They climbed up. In the roaring dark, the girl light on the woman's lap. They rumbled many miles until they came to a church in a town. The driver opened the door and escorted them into the office of the church, where he found food in the refrigerator for them, and took the collection cash from the safe and handed it wordlessly to the woman. The girl and the woman held hands in the back of the bus and at each stop shared their food, a hamburger and fries, then a slice of pizza, then a submarine sandwich, and the girl fell asleep with her head on the woman's thigh, and the woman's eyes burned as she looked into the quiet fields the bus moved through in the night. It was dawn when the bus sighed and knelt, and they descended into the city that had been the woman's home. 
They walked until the girl was too tired to go on. Then the woman hoisted her onto her back. The people lifting up the metal gates on the stores looked at these two passers-by. The dark woman with her imperious hawk's face, the tiny paper white of a girl, and saw how scantily they were dressed against the cold morning, and many of them almost said something. But each looked again and swallowed the words and turned away. The woman carried the girl warm on her back until the street lights flicked out and the birds began to sing. By mid-morning, they were on the last sidewalk, and the woman set the girl down, then typed the number into the pad, and they went up the stairs, and she found the hidden key, and they went inside. The girl saw a look on the woman's face that in the future she would think of every time someone crumpled a sheet of paper into a ball. Mail was heaped on the floor, and the sun's sippy cup from the day they'd left was still in the sink. The woman undressed the girl and put her into her son's pajamas, then into his bed, and pulled down the shade and turned on the light that shined constellations all over the ceiling. The girl slept immediately. The woman took a shower that was so familiar in all its details, the heat, the pine scent of the soap, the precise discoloration of the grout around certain tiles, that it seemed to wash away all that had happened to her. When she stepped out of the shower, she stepped out of the resolution she had silently come to when she opened the door and saw that nobody had been in the apartment since she left it. The woman woke in her own bed to the girl's thin laugh. She was watching cartoons on the television, and the woman drank a pot of coffee watching her. She gave the girl a good bath and then dressed her in her son's clothes. The girl was maybe two years older than her son had been, but she was sickly and tiny for her age, and he had always been huge, with his parents' great height and muscular build. The clothes fit. She looked decent. All they did that day was eat, sleep, watch television, buy groceries. The bagger, a bright old man who had always loved to flirt with a woman, said, Long time no see. And she didn't answer, only smiled thinly, because she could never, given a hundred lifetimes, have explained to him the distance she'd come. The next day, they visited a preschool in the opposite direction of the one the woman's son had attended. When the principal asked how old the girl was, the woman, without thinking, said her son's age. The little girl grew watchful and sucked in her lips, but she didn't say anything. My child, the woman called the girl, and the principal looked at this very dark woman and this very pale child and thought about how genes were miraculous and strange, but was afraid of being racist and saying anything. The afternoon was busy when the woman faxed over her son's vaccination forms and birth certificate, and the principal, who had had a day overfull of primary colors and singing, who was thinking already of her cat, her takeout tortellini, her favorite show, didn't read them carefully before filing them away. The woman showed up at work in a suit on Monday, and people who had vaguely known she was going away said, you're back. How was the vacation? But the woman, who ate lunch at her desk, who never spoke of her private life, hadn't told them where her family was going, and they just nodded when she said, oh, fine. 
She avoided the break room where people still talked of rescue efforts, the people they knew who had been swept away. One woman who chewed with her mouth open and gave everyone cruel nicknames had lost both of her parents and was given a mental health month off, and when she returned, she was hugged by all with solemn tenderness. Before, the woman had had a few friends. Her husband had family. There was a small, sad wake at a bar that they flew in for. When she disappeared from them soon afterward, they thought they understood her grief, having been swamped by their own, and they let her turn away from them. It took some time, but the woman understood that the child was funny in her diffident and sideways way. The child understood that the woman was a terrific cook. In the dreamy world of before, there had never been quite enough. But eat, eat, the woman urged, and no matter how much the child ate, the food never ran out. Mama, the child shyly began calling the woman, and the woman in return said, monkey, which had been her son's pet name. Not long after they came back to the city, the woman took the child to a barber shop and said, shave it. And out of the masses of pale, stringy hair, the face emerged elfin and quick. The child smiled at the new self in the mirror, the bright face with its velvety scalp, the last prettiness gone. The preschool teachers all thought the child a prodigy because no other children at that school had ever been so adept or known so many words and numbers at such an age. What detailed drawings, they exclaimed. What extraordinary focus. But the child soon learned that the woman could not look more than once at a drawing with water in it or at anything that hinted of a life lived before the wave. The child learned to make pictures of pure lightness. Unicorns and suns with grins and houses with fences, the woman's own face in careful brown circles with a giant slash of red for a mouth. Each picture was signed with a name that the teachers called out at circle time that was written in wooden letters on the wall of the bedroom. About six months after they'd returned, while they were walking slowly in the street on a hot afternoon, the child was dreaming of popsicles and wind on the skin. There was a red light at a busy intersection, but not in the daydream, and the child stepped out into the street into the path of a bus. The woman felt a dark horror seep into her and screamed her son's name. The child, who lived in a world with that name carefully written into her clothes, scrawled on the finger painting still hanging on the refrigerator, paused, then leaped back. The bus swerved in a screeching of brakes and stopped. The driver ran down the steps, yelling with his face hovering only a foot from the child, his cheeks gone purple and spittle shooting from his mouth and onto her. All the sentences he said in his rage were broken. What is wrong with, and I could have killed, and fucking get your kid in hand, lady. And the woman's quiet and gentle exterior seemed to break in two, and something else emerged that expanded to fill the street. Her face was terrible in its fury, and she opened her mouth and curses came out so bitter and fast that the driver shrank and recoiled and ran up the steps of the bus. He pulled off without looking back. The child watched the woman fold into herself and begin to weep. 
She crouched, pulling the child to her, and whispered that the child mustn't ever do it again. Never, never, never risk your life for anything. It is too precious. The woman would die if the child died. The woman would lie down with a broken heart. They went to a movie then, to sit in the cold and to make their bodies stop shaking. And when they came out, twilight was falling on the city. A co-worker passed and stopped to say hello. This is my son, the woman said calmly and rested her hand upon the child's head. And so they lived, turned only toward each other. The wind blew ice down the city streets and the trees budded and the lake shone with heat. Then it shed the heat in layers and the wind blew cold again. The apartment never changed. There was food in the refrigerator. There were stars on the ceiling in the night. The woman started singing again to herself when she cooked. Sometimes the child felt a second self inside, a watchful and small and crouching thing. It was different from the child who ate and grew and slept, who walked bravely into kindergarten taller than the other children and already knowing how to read. Hobbies emerged. Boys came over for sleepovers. There were remote control cars and a skateboard under the Christmas tree. The child went alone into the men's room at restaurants and, without having been told, used the stalls there. But the edges of the second self were becoming vague, and one day it would vanish altogether. Then, when the child was eight, they sat eating strawberry ice creams in the shade at the outdoor mall. People went by, slow and squinting in the sun. A man was playing a piano that had been painted purple and yellow and left there for the purpose, and every time he missed a note, the woman and her child looked at each other and laughed. The child's head, sunburned under the blonde velvet, rested on the woman's strong arm. Then out of the crowd rushed a woman who knelt and looked into the child's face. She was large and soft, with thick yellow hair to mid-arm, trailing other children who looked uncannily familiar. The woman's face wobbled. At first she whispered, then she said out loud a name that made the child's breath stop. Is it you, she said. She said the name again and watched the effect. And the mother felt the thing that had been vibrating in her for so long cease entirely. She felt the strawberry ice cream drip down her hand, but she couldn't blink or move. Through the skin, the child felt this change in the mother, the stiffening, and was confused. The kneeling woman started to weep. She took the child's face in her hands and said in a hushed voice, Oh my God, it is you, isn't it? You look so much like my sister. I know that face anywhere, no matter the haircut. They never found you in the cleanup. Oh my God, tell me it's you. Tell me, talk to me. We thought we'd lost you too. The child felt a pain just under the heart and the woman's face sharpened and came clear. The children, so blonde and slight, gathered around. But at last, the child said in a measured and very small voice, no, I don't know who you are. No, this is my mother. And then the child said the name that felt right on the tongue, that sounded right to the ear, even though it was a gift from a previous child. 
A curtain fell across the blonde woman's face, and she gasped and wiped her eyes roughly on her shirt. She stood and backed away, apologizing, saying a little bitterly, Oh, it would have been a miracle had it been true. She and her children returned to the crowds of people who slowly flowed by. She stopped a few stores away and looked back, but the child would not look at her. After some time, the child stood and took the melting ice cream from the mother's hand and threw it away, then carefully cleaned up all the drips with a handful of napkins, dipping them in a cup of water and giving the mother's skin a small shock of cold with each touch. The piano player wandered away. Let's go home, the child said. The mother let her child, her son, take her by the hand and lead her away. That was Lauren Groff reading her story, Under the Wave. This is her sixth story in The New Yorker. You can hear more New Yorker fiction read by the authors on newyorker.com and on the New Yorker apps, available from the App Store or from Google Play. On the New Yorker Fiction Podcast, we invite writers to choose stories from the magazine's archives to read and discuss. This month, Otessa Moshfeg reads My Life is a Joke by Sheila Hetty. You can subscribe to that and other New Yorker podcasts by searching for The New Yorker in your podcast app. Tell us what you thought of this podcast by rating and reviewing The Writer's Voice in Apple Podcasts on iTunes. Our theme music is by Jordan Batiste and Ross Michaels of North American Plastics. The Writer's Voice is produced by Jill Duboff of NewYorker.com. I'm Deborah Treisman. Thanks for listening.